Welcome to the Don't Shrink Back podcast. I'm Heidi Harris, your host. The term don't shrink back comes from Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. This podcast celebrates courage, spiritual courage, moral courage, cultural courage. We're trying to remind everybody that there are people still standing up for their beliefs, whether it's against government tyranny, whether it's for your beliefs in schools, or maybe it's helping prisoners try to change their lives, people who are making an actual difference and standing strong. Thank you for finding it. I hope you enjoy it. Tell somebody about it. Check us out at DontShrinkBack.com or Don't Shrink Back on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. One of my true heroes is a man named John Ponder, a convicted bank robber, a felon, ultimately pardoned by President Trump. But during his incarceration, long before he met President Trump or anything like that, he changed his attitude. And when he got out of prison, he has done nothing but work tirelessly to change the lives of other prisoners by founding an organization called Hope for Prisoners. John Ponder, as always, what a privilege to talk to you, my friend. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful, Heidi. How are you? I am fantastic. I have been so honored to know you for the last, what, 10 years or so. I've attended many of your graduations, and it is such a humbling and moving experience. For those who don't know and didn't know about what happened with President Trump or anything else about your past, tell everybody exactly what happened in your past and why you created Hope for Prisoners. Uh, certainly, absolutely. And thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, I grew up in the streets of New York, the product of a single parent home. You know, dad left home at a very early age, leaving mom raising five knucklehead boys and one knucklehead girl all by herself. And I think that growing up in that kind of environment, my story is not much different than uh, stories in other early uh, urban communities. You know, growing up without that father in the home, you know, we turn to the streets to validate masculinity at a very early age. And for me, the streets led me to the drugs, drugs led me to the gangs, gangs led me to criminal activity. That criminal activity led me to my very first set of handcuffs at the tender age of, of just 12 years old. And, you know, life just continued to spiral out of control from there. I caught my first felony conviction at 16 years old, uh, didn't learn my lesson back and forth to jails and prisons. Uh, while, you know, while I was in New York and uh, back in 1989, I left New York to come out to Las Vegas, hoping that the grass was greener on the other side. But, you know, for me, I went from the frying pan smack dab in the middle of the fire. Right. Uh, you know, continue to get dressed, uh, arrested. Uh, you know, I was uh, addicted to, to drugs, addicted to everything known to man. Um, and, uh, you know, kept going back and forth to, to, to jail and, and then to prison. Uh, and still, again, didn't leave, you know, learn my lesson until I found myself facing the next 23 years of my life in the maximum security United States federal penitentiary. Uh, and looking back over the course of my life, realizing that I didn't really accomplish anything of great destruction, looking at the path of destruction that I had left behind. Uh, so I found myself in this prison cell all alone in solitary confinement. Uh, and I remember a chaplain had come uh, to the uh, to the door and he said something like, Jesus loves you. And uh, I screamed at him, told him to get away from the door. And before he left, he had dropped the Bible through the little food flap. And I left the Bible on the floor uh, because I was very angry. I'm on a hunger strike, didn't want to talk to anyone. And about two weeks later, Heidi, uh, he comes back to the door again. Uh, he said something very Christianese-like. And again, I cursed him out, called him every 
name in the book except for the name his mom had given him. But before he left, he dropped his daily devotional through the door. It was the Kenneth Copeland daily devotional, uh, and it was called the pursuit of it, uh, pursuit of his presence. So out of boredom one day, I picked up the daily devotional and I started to read it. I turned it to whatever day I thought it was and I read it. Then it was a little passage of scripture in the top corner. And I reached down on the floor and I picked up the Bible and turned to that passage of scripture. And I began to read. And for me, when I began to read, it was like God cracked something wide open on the inside of me and I couldn't put the Bible down. So I spent the rest of my time in solitary confinement. You know, it's a place where people always say that you're supposed to be there by yourself, solitary confinement. But I tell people it was not, uh, I wasn't there by myself. It was me, Jesus, and Kenneth Copeland. And it was on uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I stood in that prison cell and I asked God to forgive me uh, for all those things that I did. And 100% he did. And then I asked him to step in and to be the Lord of my life. And in that moment, he did. He entered, I accepted him into my heart. And Heidi, he turned my life around from that moment on a 180 degree turn in the other direction. Now you were facing 23 years. Why didn't you have to do that? What happened? Because God showed up. I remember I, I stood in that cell before I was going into the into the courtroom and I played Let's Make a Deal with God. You remember the old school Monty Hall? Oh, yes, I do. I played Let's Make a Deal with God. And the deal that I, I, I made with God, I asked God to go before me in that courtroom, right? And I asked him to move the judge out of the way and for him to climb up into the oh. robe of that judge, right? And let him be my judge. Wow. And then I said to him, whatever time that I have coming to me, whether it's going to be 10 years or 50 years, I asked God to search the meditation of my heart. Uh, and know that whatever time that is, as long as it comes from you, that I was going to dedicate the rest of this life and in, uh, to eternity into serving him. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, shortly thereafter, I stepped up into that courtroom, Heidi, and unmistakably, I stepped up into the presence of God. Right. Uh, you just you know that the presence of God is in that room. And I remember after the judge uh, had, you know, they said what they were going to do with court and this and that, all the legal stuff they was going to do. And then he asked me, you know, Mr. Pond, do you have any questions before I impose sentence? And I was like, you bet I do. And so I opened up my mouth and I just started speaking. As a matter of fact, I didn't, I don't, I didn't even remember or didn't even know what it was that I was saying. I had to later go back and take a look at my sentence and transcripts mm-hmm. to know what it was that I said. The Bible says that you, when you find yourself in situations like that, do not worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Right. But I remember when I got to the end of that, Judge Maidhan had taken his glasses off and, um, and he leaned back in his chair and he says, Mr. Ponder, um, I have been on this bench for X amount of years. He says, I have never heard anybody say what it was that you just said. And he said, young man, if you do half of what it is that you're saying that you're going to do, you're going to walk out that institution, a transformed man. Wow. And then he said something, Heidi, that has marked my life from that day. He said, I don't know why I'm going to do this. And he said that I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And in that moment, I realized that God just showed up. So instead of getting the 23 years, I was given a much lower sentence. Mm-hmm. I still have to go to a maximum security United States federal penitentiary behind 50 foot walls to pay my debt to society. But again, I did not get 
what it was that I deserved. Wow. When I went off to prison, I spent every waking moment of my time throughout the, the duration of my incarceration, number one, trying to get to know this God that I just surrendered my life to. I wanted to know everything about him. So digging in the pages of my Bible um, during that time, um, and I, I began to understand the magnitude of who God is, right? And the magnitude of the things that he has already done for me. And then when I wrap my mind around the promises that I could lay hold of in my Bible, I went again, full speed ahead, right? And the more and more, Heidi, I began to understand about him, the more and more I began to understand about me and who it is that my God created me to be. And that's when I realized that, you know, I'm not the name that the streets are giving me. I'm not the guy that the, the gang thought I was. I'm not who those girls thought I was. I am who my God says that I am. And I can do everything that my God says that I can do. That's an incredible story. I knew parts of it. I don't think I knew the extent of it. What a great story. Now, talk to me about what you saw not happening with the prisoners while you were one yourself that ultimately encouraged you, through God, to create hope for prisoners. What was not being done on the inside and what was not being done on the outside? And I'm talking the inside-outside walls and the inside-outside person. Right. You, you know what it was? When, and again, when I'm digging in the pages of my Bible— um, I got to know um, so much about me and God had me taking a deep dive into studying. And it had come a time when this life transformation was taking place on the inside of me. You know, I heard God speak to me. Now you take all these things. This is after two or three years of just studying. Uh, he says, I'm about to take you on this journey so that you could turn right back around and help the other people that were in the same uh, bondage to the same things that you were once in bondage to. And now that I have set you free, Right. You have an obligation on a turn right back around and help set, set some other people free. Mm -hmm. So uh, in that during that period of time, I tell people that God had impregnated me with this vision of hope for prisoners. Looking back over the course of my life, coming in and out of, of prison um, and jail and addicted and so forth and so on, um, in that he uh, impregnated me with hope for prisoners which would give me an opportunity to turn right back around and help some other people right. that were facing those same challenges that I once had to face to do everything I can to uh, blow the doors off the hinges and help to escort them up to the next level of life. And that's so important. And one of the things that you focus on with Hope for Prisoners is the inner person. Because if you don't change who you are on the inside, you're never going to change your life on the outside. And what a lot of people don't realize, you know, they'll say, you know, throw away the key, leave them there forever. Well, most people are going to get out of prison. They're going to be back in society and we want them to be changed people. They, of course, have to want that change. And you, you know, focus on that with Hope for Prisoners. But talk about what people have to do when they get out. They've got to change their associations. And that's not easy to do. And people who've come from a tough life and, and never really knew an alternative, but might, you know, want that alternative, but really not even knowing how to start. Talk a little bit about that and what Hope for Prisoners does for that. Yeah. You know, when you when you look in the, in the book of Acts, right, it tells a story of when Paul and Silas was uh, was put into prison, right? And it says that they were in a dungeon and, and they were chained and, and they weren't sobbing. They were in there worshiping. Mm -hmm. 
And as they were worshiping, the Bible says there was this gigantic earthquake, right? The ground shook, the walls came down, they crumbled, and the chains fell off, right? And then it says that when all that activity taking place, the Philippian jailers, who house was right across the street from the prison, uh, they saw that, and he comes out and he pulls his sword, and he was about to stab himself because he was thinking that the prisoners had escaped on his watch. Because if that happened, you as a guard were executed. Exactly. Right. So Paul and Silas was like, "Hey, no, don't, don't do that. We're, we're still here, so, right?" So the question is, Heidi. Uh, if Paul and Silas were in prison and they were chained, the chains fell off, the walls came down. Why did they not get up and run? Uh-huh. But the answer lies in this. The reason why they didn't get up and run, because Paul and Silas were already set free. Right. While they were in prison, they were already set free. And when we can get men and women who are in prison, understand and, 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 and begin to live that level of freedom while they're still inside prison, that's when the life transformation truly, truly takes place. God had showed me uh, when I began to walk in my freedom while I was in prison, uh, he, he showed me how close the word enemy comes to the inner me, mm-hmm. right? And I spent a lifetime fighting the enemies on the outside when I wasn't walking in my freedom. Spent a lifetime fighting enemies on the outside until I took a look at the enemies that were laying dormant on the inner me. And when God helped me to conquer the enemies on the inner me, the enemies on the outside disappeared. And it's so interesting, too, because I have attended some of your events, obviously the graduations, but also the Tuesday night huddle that you do. And I've seen some of the incredible speakers. And, you know, if you don't come from a family of, uh, you know, neglect and abuse and addiction and things like that, you really don't understand how hard it is. Not that you're not obligated to make good decisions regardless, but you don't understand how hard it is for people to completely change everything and how much harder they have to work than average people to turn their lives around. And I got to tell you, I've been brought to tears by the things I've seen, people in the program I've gotten to meet, and the speakers. And it's truly incredible, and it's inspiring, and everybody needs to understand what these people are dealing with and what they've come from and how far they've come. Yeah, I'm brought to tears all the time when I see people. And Heidi, I I share with people that – that as the as the founder and CEO of Hope for Prisons, I, I say I got the best seat in the house. <laughs> I have the privilege of seeing men and women while they're in prison. Right. I see them at the beginning stages of Hope for Prisons as we begin to walk with them. But you know, as we're walking with them over an 18-month period of, of time or more, I tell them that I have the best seat in the house because I, because I have the privilege of kind of watching the evolution of life. Right. I see people when they're at the at the absolute worst. I see them grab hold of the biblical principles that we're sharing with them, and gradually and incrementally over time, you know, I'm privileged to see them just living on a whole nother vista of life. At one of the recent graduations that I attended, I sat in with basically with a grandfather and his granddaughter, and her daddy was graduating from the program. And to see the light in her eyes when her daddy was walking, and all the family members who are so proud of that person who was formerly incarcerated making new decisions is incredible. And you know, you talk a lot in Hope for Prisoners about the idea that you can't just walk out of there and say, "Well, I said I'm sorry." 
you've got to make reparations with these people. You have got to make amends, sometimes legal reparations, but other times you've got to make amends with the people around you. Talk a little bit about that, because that's all part of changing the inner man. Yeah. So we, we help people understand that, um, you know, prior to going to prison, uh, just like with me, when I went to prison, uh, I burnt everybody. I burnt family, friends, right? I destroyed trust and so forth and so on. And, and for me, uh, much like everybody else's story, we were like the boys, the boy who cried wolf, right? That I'm going I'm to do the right thing and I'm going to do this and whatever the case be and never did any of it. So burned everybody. So when men and women are coming home, we have to understand that you have to build up a trust account. Right. Right. Not only with the with your family, but also out in the community, you have to build up that trust account and building up that trust account. We're not going to sit around and talk about the things that we're going to do. Right. We're not even going to say that. What we're going to do is we're going to let our actions speak so loudly that they can barely hear what we're saying. Right. right. And I think that, you know, when people begin to see that, when the families begin to see that, the loved ones, people out in the community see that they're living this transformed life. This is when you begin to get the buy-in from the family, get the buy-in from the community. And the community is so important. The community involvement, the community partnership with Metro Police and uh, the prosecutors and everybody, that's an incredible aspect of what you do. All right, now you've got to talk about the whole story behind President Trump pardoning you. Some people may not know how this whole thing came down and it was incredible. All of a sudden you're making national news. President Trump came to one of your graduation ceremonies. I was thrilled to be there and privileged to be there. The whole thing was crazy. Tell me how it started. Yes, yes. So we got invited uh, to the uh, to the White House for the National Day of Prayer. And um, President Trump stood in the Rose Garden and he told my story to the millions of people that was watching, right? But it wasn't uh, my story that was just so very touching that he talked about. But what he did on that day, he talked about the power of prayer. Yeah. Because I had a praying grandmother, I had a praying mother that was praying for me for years, sowing seeds of prayer into me that many years later, the harvest uh, came forth. So that was one of my first introductions, um, you know, to uh, the White House, to President Trump. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I was invited to participate on the, there was an initiative that came out of the White House's First Step Act, right? And helping incarcerated people to be able to get out of, uh, get out of prison. So uh, I had a lot of interactions there. Uh, and then uh, I had gotten a phone call uh, in uh, 2020, uh, that I was to come to the White House because they wanted me to speak at the at the RNC, right? right. And so Richard Beasley and I get on the plane, we fly out, um, and we go to the um, you know go to the RNC, and we're speaking and we're talking, and President Trump was there, and at the end of the uh, uh, of the speaking, President Trump said, you know, something in fact, I don't think John knows this yet, but we're we're I'm granting him a full presidential pardon. And Heidi, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am on national TV. I know millions of people watching all over the world. And I'm an emotional guy anyway. Oh, my light just turned off. And I'm a very emotional guy anyway. And I'm about to burst into tears. Yeah. Right. And as I closed my eyes, it was like, God, what, you know, what are you doing? Right. What is happening right now? And inside the Oval Office, I heard God speak to me. And he said to me, what President Trump is doing right now, it's good. Mm -hmm. But he said, never forget that I pardoned you 
a full pardon back in 2004 when you stood in that prison cell and asked me to forgive you and you surrendered your life to my son. He says, I was, I granted you a full pardon on that day. (laughs) And then President Trump came to town to attend one of your graduation ceremonies, which was incredible. I mean, the whole community was involved in that. Even the mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman, who's not a Republican, showed up, was very polite. I mean, that's the way it should be. This should not be a partisan issue. And certainly Hope for Prisoners is not a partisan organization at all. And it was really great to see all of that response in the community. Absolutely. I tell everybody on that day, it wasn't about a donkey or an elephant. It was about the Lamb of God. And when President Trump stayed in that room and made it a point to uh, shake everybody in that room hand, his, okay. his detail was telling me he's going to be out of there in 18 minutes. They had it timed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was in that <clears throat> in that room for almost <clears throat> 45 minutes to an hour, wow. uh, making it a point to, to shake hands. And, and um, you know, some of those graduates are coming back and still talking about that uh, to this day. Now, one of the other aspects or legs, I guess, of the organization is the community partnership. You partner with police, obviously, and the judges, they're very excited to see this thing happen. You also have to partner with the community when it comes to providing jobs for these people who are getting out of prison, right? Talk a little bit about that. It's really important. Yeah, it is so very important that, you know, when I go all all over the country uh, talking to jurisdictions, asking me to replicate the Hope for Prisons mm-hmm. model uh, in the area. And they always ask me, well, what's the key to the success, right? And I tell them that the key to the success of Hope for Prisoners is hands down the unprecedented, like never before partnerships that we built up with the community. Right. Like we bring in our law enforcement partners, which is key. Our friends. Yes. I referenced that because during your graduation ceremonies, whenever anybody in law enforcement is mentioned, a judge, the cops, anything, everybody all together says, our friends. It's so funny. Yes, that that is right. Yeah. Yeah. And that that partnership that we built up with LVMPD, it's such a powerful, uh, powerful partnership. Listen, uh, show evidence of how big the God is that we serve. Never before in the history of reentry, nowhere on this planet to this magnitude, has law enforcement gotten this involved in mentoring and training people coming home from the prison system? And that partnership is something that's so important to police officers because they are trying to make people's lives better. They are tired of arresting the same person on Friday night who's out on Monday and they're going to arrest him again on Friday. They don't want to see this revolving door. They are thrilled to see the lives changed as a result of the decisions these prisoners have to make for themselves. 100%. And, and if you think about it on the back end of it, that level of partnership is, is paying you know gigantic um, uh, dividends, right? right? Because with law enforcement getting this involved in helping people uh, not go back to prison, mm-hmm. it's reducing the future victimization of the community. That's right. That's right. It's helping men and women uh, come home uh, and find sustainable wage employment to where now they're um, they're be, they're able to take care of their families, right? Well, they have that leftover discretionary income to where now they once wards of the state, now they're uh, uh, contributing to the economic engine of our community. And not only that, you're talking about breaking the cycle because many of these people have multiple generations of family members in jail and we want to prevent that from happening. So that's another aspect of it. Yes, absolutely. You know how we stop that. Um, And, you know, my heart is for the men in prison because I was a man in prison who left 
my kids out in this in the community by themselves, right? So I think that when we can help men, train them up and equip them mentally, physically, and spiritually mm -hmm. to return back home and take their rightful positions in their home mm -hmm. as the husbands and fathers and leaders that God created them to be, right. then they impact the family, That's right? True. That family then impacts the church. Mm -hmm. The church then impacts the community. The community impacts the state. Then the state impacts this nation. This is how we get God, uh, you know, to spread across uh, this revival across the United, United States of America. Exactly. That's a huge part of it. And a lot of the people you work with never even considered, obviously they didn't consider God, and they certainly didn't consider that there was a, another way to live their lives until you and your program came along. That's right. I am ultimately convinced, Heidi, that, that the vast majority of people from this segment of the population, uh, they really do want to change. Mm -hmm. They want to do better. They have no idea how to do it. For so long, we've been telling people from this segment of the population to get back out in the community, be a productive member of the community. And they have no idea right. what that looks like. Right. So when we're able to come alongside them uh, and walk, train them and equip them and then walk with them, uh, you know, mentorship or discipleship is, if you will, and to help to create reference points in here that where they really wanted to go their entire life, let me show you what that looks like. Right. And I believe at that point, they will never look back. And you've also got some great support from uh, celebrities, including one of my favorite country singers on the planet, Wynonna Judge. She was at one of your events. I had a chance to meet her. She's very supportive of what you do. Absolutely. She has. And if you want to, if you can keep a secret, she right. may be coming back out in September. Okay. I'll be there for Wynonna. Also wanted to mention that around the country, other organizations are looking at what you're doing and, and, you know, getting some real inspiration in Missouri. Uh, they're thinking about doing some things like you do. Talk a little bit about that because it is a huge, the impact that you're having all over the nation. People are watching you. I want to give a, a shout out to Missouri. Okay. We have worked very, very closely with Missouri Department of Corrections. And uh -huh. I got to tell you, uh, Missouri Department of Corrections has one of the best Department of Corrections in the nation, you know, led by my dear friend Ann Presythe. Uh -huh. But they're really doing some cutting edge things there. So I enjoy uh, coming to Missouri. I was just sharing with somebody last night that I remember the first time I went there, uh, the correctional staff had taken us out to dinner and it was this place called Lambert's. Mm -hmm. and we're, we're in the restaurant and the, the waiters and waitresses are throwing the bread to people across the room. Well, you know, the Midwest, it's a different animal. That's for sure. All right, my friend, listen, it has been a privilege to know you all these years. And it's just been a privilege to watch you, watch your organization and all the amazing people who work with you to impact lives. And this impact is going to be generational. So thank you so much for taking the time. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Heidi, so very, very much. I honor you. It is my absolute honor to be able to call you friend. Oh, he's such a sweetheart. Good to know you, John Ponder, and people like you. Don't forget to check out hopeforprisoners.org. I'll put all the information in the description. And check out don'tshrinkback.com and don't shrink back Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And if you'd care to suggest somebody you think we should highlight, please let us know at don'tshrinkback.com. Until we meet again, remember God is in charge. Don't panic. He's got it. Take a stand. You'll never regret it. Don't shrink back. <laughs>